I'd like to invite all of us to go to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to follow in the Apostle Paul's thinking in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at a couple of verses before we go to the Lord's table with communion. Um, you're encouraged to study out of your Bible. If you don't have one, you can raise your hand, and we've got one here for you. Uh, anybody need a Bible? Okay. Max needs a Bible. Max, do you need a Bible? You got a Bible? Oh, you got one. Okay. He's covered. Great. So let's go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week. And we, last week we looked at really what it was concluding a section, really Genesis, F, Ephes, sorry, Ephesians 1 1, all the way to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, was an entire foundation that the Apostle Paul was laying, teaching Christians doctrine, Christianity, uh, our position in Christ, and our relationship to Him, preparing for the rest of the book of Ephesians where he's going to tell us how we should live in light of our position in Christ. All that just to say, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, throughout the rest of the book, Paul's going to give us a whole bunch of imperatives, or what are called commands, over 40 of them. He hasn't done that, for the most part, throughout the first four and a half chapters of this book, because he's been laying the foundation, trying to tell Christians, here's who you are in Christ, here's what you used to be as an unbeliever. Now, this is what you are in Christ, and because you are in Christ, and Christ at conversion, put off your old sin and your old self, and he has put a newness on you when he converted you, and he's made you like Christ, and because you are in Christ, now you are to live in obedience to Christ, so that's why, starting at verse 25 through the rest of the book, we're just going to be pummeled with all these commands and obligations that we are expected to obey, because we know God personally, and Paul is assuming the people he's talking to are true believers. These are true Christians. That was his assumption. This was a church that he planted and even pastored for three and a half years. So that's where we're at. So we're really at a transitional point in this book, and I just wanted to look at uh, three verses, 25 through 27 this week, to prepare us for communion. And the Lord's table, keeping in mind that at the Lord's table, the Lord's table or communion, when we celebrate it, it's an invitation to anybody who's a Christian, anybody who knows Jesus Christ personally, to partake in communion. And it's a time where we remember, primarily, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what Jesus did on our behalf. He died on the cross and rose again from the dead for the forgiveness of sin. So when we have communion, that's what we're remembering. So it's a time of really remembering and also celebrating, thanking Christ for his salvation provision for us. But he also gives us a warning the Apostle Paul does about communion, telling us before we take communion to examine our hearts, to evaluate our hearts, each one of us. And we're going to get to do that before we take communion today, just privately in our own hearts, to pray and ask God to examine us through His Holy Spirit regarding any sins that we might have so that we confess that sin to Him. Because he said if anybody sins, we can confess our sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's two things that I want to focus on uh, that I want us to contemplate before we go into communion, evaluating our own hearts, our own lives, with respect to sin in our life. And that's the two principles laid out here in verses 25 to 27 that the Apostle Paul tells Christians they need to be aware of. So let's go ahead and first of all just read 25 through 27, picking up where Paul left us last week. He starts out saying, Therefore... Because you're a new creation in Christ, you're not an unbeliever anymore, but therefore laying aside falsehood, or literally having laid aside falsehood, now speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. So that's it. And just in these three verses, really we have two exhortations or two main commands that Paul is giving us. And on the outline there, titled this, Truth, Lies, and Anger, because that's what Paul's dealing with here. And two main points I wanted us to keep in mind. Letter A is Christians are obligated to live true lives in the church community. And I want to go ahead and fill those blanks in right now if you're following along and taking notes. So that first point, Christians are obligated to live true lives, to tell the truth. Uh, three points Paul tells us in light of that. Number one, by refraining from deceptive living. By refraining from deceptive living. Two, by speaking truthfully. And three, because we are all members of the same body, the body of Christ. And then the second point he makes there, 26 and 27, is B, Christians are obligated to have control over their tempers. We are obligated to do that. It's a responsibility. Three things he tells us. Number one, by getting angry in an appropriate manner. Wait, yeah, you heard that right. I'll say it again. By getting angry in an appropriate manner. Then two, by refusing to get bitter from personal irritation. And then number three, otherwise Satan will create division among believers. So let's go ahead and look at those two main truths, these two imperatives Poor Christians, we need to keep in mind as we prepare our hearts to meet God in communion today. The first one is that Christians are obligated to live true lives in the church community, and that is verse 25. Therefore, Christians, because you're a new believer, God has saved you. He's put off the old self. He put a new self on you. You're in Christ's likeness and image. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's forgiven all of your sin. He's given you a new nature, and as a result, you have the desire to live in obedience to God and honor Him in all things. At least that's what a Christian should desire. Therefore, he says, then lay aside falsehood and speak truth with each other. So here's the command. Christian, because you are in Christ, you are obligated now, because of who you are in Christ, you are obligated to live a life of truth. And he said, but before that, he says this. And depending upon your translation, this is literally what Paul says. He says, having laid aside falsehood. That's the literal Greek phrase. It's a, it is a past tense, similar to those words we were looking at last week. Paul is saying, when you got saved, when you became a new creature in Christ, you laid aside falsehood. And the, and the text literally says, you have laid aside the lie. The lie. When you became a Christian, you laid aside the lie. Well, what's he talking about? Well, when you became a Christian, you laid aside a lying lifestyle, a deceptive lifestyle. You're no longer a liar by nature anymore. Did you know that the New Testament... Jesus, the apostles, characterized an unbeliever as a categorically as a liar? That's harsh language. We were having Friday night Bible study and we saw that. The apostle John kept saying, if you're not a Christian and you don't know Christ, then you are a liar. Harsh language. And it's significant that Jesus, when he was talking and confronting publicly his greatest enemies, the Pharisees, who were hypocritical, and were not truly saved and didn't believe in Christ. And he reproved them and rebuked them publicly. And he, and he pointed his finger in their face and said, you, and this is John chapter 8, he said, you are of your father, the devil. You are from Satan. That is not how you win friends and influence people, by the way. Um, and he made them very angry. He humiliated them and embarrassed them in front of people. But he said, you are of your father, the devil, and... You are his offspring, and you have the nature of the devil. And then he went on to say what the nature of the devil was. He said, 
the devil is a liar and has been a liar from the beginning. So categorically, the nature of Satan, he's a liar. That is what he is. That is what he does. That's what he spends his time doing, lying. He is a deceiver. He's called the deceiver. And anybody who is not a Christian is of their father, the devil. That's what John the Apostle tells us. And as a result, their very nature is lying. Lying comes naturally. Being deceitful is second nature if you are an unbeliever because you haven't been redeemed in Christ. And that's the testimony of the Bible. I know that's harsh language and hard to, but you can see it in our culture. That if you're an unbeliever, many times living a lifestyle of deception and lying and not being honest and not being upfront and having a secret life is a way of life. As a matter of fact, many times lying and being deceitful is a way you advance yourself in life. It's a way you advance yourself in career, whether it's in politics, to get to the upper higher echelons. It's filled with compromise, lying, deception, selfishness, covering the truth to advance yourself. And as a result, that's why the Bible can say if you are not a Christian, inherently you are a liar and you're living the lie. That's why Paul can say here in Ephesians chapter 4 that because you, Christian, because you have been saved and Jesus set aside your old self, you have already put aside the lie. You're not living a lie anymore. You are living the truth because you came to know Jesus Christ personally and Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, isn't he? So if you are a Christian, you know Jesus personally and he is the truth. So we know the truth, and God has given us of his word. He wants us to live by it. He's given us the ability to understand it, and the Bible is the truth, isn't it? John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. So our Savior is the truth. The word of God and our spiritual food is the truth. And Jesus said, when you become a believer, I will give the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, Christian. And Jesus said in the Gospel of John that the Spirit is truth. The Spirit of truth will come and live in you. So how much more every Christian is obligated and even has a desire to live in truth and speak the truth because our Savior is the truth, the Word of God is the truth, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is the truth. So that should represent naturally our lifestyle. That's who we are. I just remember when I became a Christian how I was liberated in many ways. And I just remember being liberated from living a life that was a lie, always covering my tracks, always being hypocritical, always being two-faced, always concerned about my image. And Christ set me free. And when you live the truth, you don't have anything to fear. You don't have guilt hanging over your head. Living the truth is a liberating thing. Telling the truth is a liberating thing. So that's what Paul wants us to do. This should be natural for you, Christian. Pursuing truth, speaking the truth. You've already put aside falsehood. You're not living the lie anymore. So we need to be committed to speaking the truth. Now look back at Ephesians 4.15 where Paul spoke about that. And there he was talking about a true lifestyle. As Christians, you need to be living a true lifestyle. And he also... Uh, that important modifier there, you need to be speaking or living the truth in love, right? So we're not crass when we speak truth with one another, but we do it with tact, right? We do it with love. We do it prayerfully. But the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians 4, uh, 25, when he says speak truth, the word there for speak, it's a very specific word, and the emphasis is on verbal communication. This is on face-to-face verbal communication between believers. On a regular basis, We need to be speaking truth to one another. And some Christians have a harder time with this than others do because of maybe past sins or certain inhibitions you have in your life. And I would just ask, what keeps a Christian from speaking the truth on a regular basis? Or what would prompt a Christian to lie? Do Christians lie, by the way? Not here at Grace Bible Fellowship. No, yeah, yeah, actually we do. Uh, Christians do lie, 
We know that they do lie because that's why Paul's writing. He is telling a congregation full of Christians, quit lying. That is sinful. It's inconsistent with your nature and your Savior and the indwelling Holy Spirit and the Word of God that you say that you love. Stop lying. Speak the truth. So yeah, Christians lie. And it's sinful, and they should be convicted by it. And when we, we do sin, and when we do lie, we need to be convicted and we need to repent. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for I didn't. Why do Christians lie? Well, here's two main reasons why I thought Christians lie. I got these from personal experience, by the way. Um, Christians lie to protect themselves, don't they? Maybe you made a mistake, you blew it, you don't want to be embarrassed, so you lie to cover your tracks. That's probably one of the number one reasons why Christians will lie. And by the way, what is a lie? The word for truth here means consistent with reality. That's truth, aletheia. I know a girl named aletheia. Her name is Truth. It means being consistent with reality. It means upfront. It means hiding nothing. No deception whatsoever. And by the way, in the, in the court of law today, it's a good thing they ask you to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Did you know that a little white lie is sinful and it's a lie and it's just as evil as a big black lie? So there are no legitimate, good, acceptable little white lies. If you're not totally upfront, true to reality, it's a lie, it's illegitimate, it's unbiblical, should have no place in the life of a Christian, and if a Christian does it, they should confess their sin. But anyway, we lie to protect ourselves. Another main reason why Christians lie at times is because they have a fear of men. They have a fear of what other people uh, might, how they might respond. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You don't want to tell the truth, you don't want to speak up, or when you do speak up, you don't give the whole truth, or you twist it a little, or you hide it a little, or you manipulate it a little, because you're afraid of how that other person is going to respond. You're afraid of their reaction. You're afraid of rejection. You have the fear of man. We shouldn't have that as Christians. Over and over again in Psalms and Proverbs, it says the believer should be guided by a fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not the fear of man. So keep that in mind. Did Jesus offend people at times when he told the truth? Yes, he did. Did the Apostle Paul offend people at times when he told the truth? He did. And so did Peter and on and on it goes. They didn't, they didn't try to offend the truth naturally offended, and the truth naturally offends sinners. The truth is naturally offensive and inconvenient for Satan, who is the father of lies. And by the way, this sin of lying, this is basic. This is fundamental. This is in the top three sins, in my opinion, that need to be dealt with in the life of a Christian, the family of a Christian, the church of Christians, is the sin of lying. It made the top ten, I believe, in the Ten Commandments. Because thou shalt not bear false witness. Well, if you're bearing false witness, what are you doing? You are not representing the truth. You are lying. Don't do that. This is very important to God. The Bible says God cannot lie. It's impossible for Him to lie. It's against His very nature. So lying, this is very fundamental in terms of a sin. And I say that it's priority number one because if you are a parent and you're raising children, you need to train your children to tell the truth. You should have zero tolerance in your home for lying from your children. Many times... Your kids, they might try to hide the truth. Why? Because they're afraid. Fear. You know what? We try to encourage our kids from the time they were about yay high to always tell the truth. Never lie to mommy and daddy. And even if you're a little nervous and a little afraid about telling the truth because you might think you might get in trouble, we would encourage them anyway and say, you know what? I'd rather have you tell the truth about the horrible thing you just did than lie to me and get away with it. So I promise, I won't, uh, I won't spank you if you tell the truth this time. Or something like that. Because we want to encourage them and teach them they need to be committed to telling the truth. One of the worst things you can do as a parent is allow your child to lie because then they develop a pattern and a lifestyle and that will just get them deeper and deeper in trouble. So this is absolutely fundamental and basic. 
being a truth teller. A Christian should tell the truth all the time. And I, the reason I know this is basic also, it's just kind of interesting that of the 40 imperatives that Paul is going to tell Christians to do, the 40 commands he's going to give them to do that we are obligated to obey, the first one he gives is he says, be a truth teller, don't be a liar. It's the first one. I don't think that's coincidental. I don't think it's coincidental at all because I think lying, and the next one we're about to look at is getting angry, and Jesus said at the heart of murder is anger. Murder starts with anger. You must first be angry at something before it manifests itself in murder. For example, Cain. He got angry at his brother first, and then that manifested itself and and, uh, exemplified itself through murder. So it's interesting, in John 8, when Jesus characterized or pegged Satan and his nature, he said two things. You're of your father, the devil. And Satan is a liar and a murderer. By definition, that is who Satan is. Those two things. And here, Paul starts off with 40-plus imperatives for the Christian, and he says, don't be a liar and don't get angry. And we know Jesus said anger leads to murder. Those two very things that characterize what Satan's nature is like. So when the Christian is lying or being angry in an illegitimate way, we are really imitating who? The very nature of Satan himself, and that's why there should be no place for these two things in the Christian life. Let's go ahead and uh, look on... Oh, last point. Uh, Number three, regarding lying. Paul gives us a reason why Christians should not lie to one another. And by the way, he's speaking first and foremost in the Christian community. Christians don't lie to each other in the church. Don't lie to fellow believers. And the reason is, in verse 25, uh, where it said, because we are all members of the same body. Don't lie to each other as Christians because you're all part of the same body. And the word there for member... It's a very specific word. It refers to a body part. It always is in reference to something that is living, a living organism. And when you are a part of a living organism, you're all interdependent upon one another, aren't you? You're supposed to be helping each other. My hand is helping my head. It's scratching or whatever. They're supposed to be complementing one another. The members of the body are interdependent upon one another. So if you've got a fellow member of the body lying to another member of the body, like the head lying to the foot, telling the foot, no, foot, there's not a snake that you're about to walk by. <laughs> when there really is a snake, then the foot's just going to go ahead and walk by, get hurt, get bit, get, and it's going to kill the whole body. That's inconsistent with what a body does. A body helps itself. A body protects itself. A body helps itself grow and stimulates one another. And that's what Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying. Christian, you shouldn't be lying first and foremost because you're a body living independently, interdependently, encouraging one another in every way that we can. Helping one another. Lying is detrimental to your very own local membership and body as a church. And the second reason why we shouldn't be lying within the church and to each other is because the world is watching us, aren't they? Jesus said in John 17, the unbelieving world is going to know who I am by, well how, by well, how well you get along as believers. By your love for one another and by your unity for one another. And when we start lying to each other, fighting with each other, and mess with the unity of the local church that distorts and literally emaciates the picture of who Christ is to the world. And then there's a stumbling block, and that is a great offense. So Christians, let's be truth tellers. Uh, let's go on to point B. Christians are obligated to have control over their tempers. So that's uh, 26 and 27. Let's look at that. He starts out with this command. Be angry, Christian. Be angry. Wow. Do you find that surprising, that Paul would command the Christian to be angry? Because some people think that anger is always wrong, 
or that anger is inherently wrong, or that the Christian should never get angry, or any time a Christian does get angry, it is always wrong and sinful. That is not true. We know that from right here. The Apostle Paul is actually commanding Christians to be angry, but he's telling them how to be angry, how to be angry and to be angry in the right manner, because there is a wrong manner in which to be angry. So we're looking at that. So point number one is by getting angry in an appropriate manner. Control your emotions by dealing with your anger in the proper manner. What is that, the Apostle Paul? Well, first of all, before I get to that, I need to let you know that this word for angry here in verse 26, be angry, the same word is used of God 39 times in the, Old, the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. So the, the Old Testament is clear that God got angry, God gets angry, God has anger, it's a part of his very nature, and at the same time, God never sinned. God is perfect, God is holy, God never sins. So God, even though he does have anger, it is a perfect anger, it is a righteous anger, it is a holy anger. We call this righteous indignation. There is a legitimate kind of anger. God is the model of it. We were made in his image. We reflect his image, therefore human beings have the capacity to get angry in the right way and manifest it the right way as well. The problem is, we're not God. We mess up. We struggle with sin. So many times, we sin in our anger, and that's why the Apostle Paul said this, be angry and yet do not sin, Christian. So Paul's saying there's got to be parameters here regarding your anger. You need to control your emotions and your passions the right way. You need to control your mouth and your language and your actions in the right way. What's the number one way that people usually manifest their anger in an illegitimate way? Usually through words, probably, right? Probably words and then actions. But predominantly more with your words is how you manifest your anger. The book of Proverbs is filled with that, exhortations to watch your mouth. With respect to your anger, you've got to control your emotions and we control our emotions by God's help and the indwelling Holy Spirit. I just think of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. The fruits of the Spirit refer to how the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of the Christian, helps us with our attitudes. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. So patience is a supernatural virtue from God utilized by the Holy Spirit inside of the Christian. The word for patience literally means having a long fuse, being long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. In other words, not getting angry. So the only way you as a sinner and I as a sinner can help overcome illegitimate anger is dependence upon the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me and who will help me and you have a long fuse and not vent anger the wrong and illegitimate way. But anger can be legitimate but it has to be restrained and manifest the correct way, not falling into sin. Well, how can you use anger or manifest anger in the wrong way? Uh, well, he gives us a hint there at the end of verse 26. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And the, the second word, he uses two words for anger in that verse. They're, they're different words. The second one is a different kind of anger. That's the illegitimate kind of anger. When you start getting angry, and translations could be wrath... Or bitterness. That's illegitimate. That's when you get angry for personal reasons. That's usually when we get in trouble. When we get angry to defend ourselves. We get angry because we were personally offended. Because according to the Bible, legitimate anger is when we get righteously, righteously indignant about legitimate things. Like when God is mocked, His word is mocked, when there is sin that needs to be dealt with, when there are injustices in the world... We can get angry about those kind of things. Jesus got angry in John chapter 2. 
Did Jesus ever get angry? Yes. Did Jesus ever sin? No. So Jesus was always perfect in his anger. But one time, when he came to the temple, when people were just supposed to be praying, they had a bazaar out in the courtyard where people were selling animals for a profit, for filthy lucre in the house of God. Jesus got infuriated, and he made a whip, and he chased these people out with his whip. He was whipping with his whip, by the way. He was yelling at these people, Get out of my father's house! And quoted the verse, Zeal for thy temple shall consume me. Jesus was filled with zeal, with fury, with holy anger that day towards these sinful people. And he vented it, but he did it within the confines of what was legitimate because he was angry over God's reputation and God's temple being defiled. And yet, and Jesus also was perfect and he never sinned. So he always manifests his anger in a legitimate way. The problem with us, at least this is what I find, I almost always vent or manifest my anger in the wrong way. In an illegitimate way. And then I have to keep going back. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm... God, forgive me. Please forgive me. Because as a sinner, that's so hard to deal with and uh, contain. But we are responsible for controlling our emotions. A couple other points we need to make or note regarding what Paul says here. He says, so there's legitimate anger, righteous indignation. There's illegitimate anger, personal bitterness and irritation. A couple other points he warns us about. Don't sin in your anger. So deal with, when you get angry, deal with it the right way. If it's illegitimate, confess it to God. Ask God to give you patience. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you. But if it's legitimate anger, you need to act on it appropriately. Another caution he gives the middle of verse 26. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, when you get angry, and usually we get angry at who? We get angry at people, don't we? We get angry at people who said something or did something to offend us. And that's where Paul says, be very careful because that's where you can fall into sin. When somebody has personally offended you by their words or by their actions, red flag, you need to, take, take, you need to watch out and be on guard. Because the first thing that can happen, if you get mad at somebody, you get angry at somebody, uh, and you hold on to that, that will turn into bitterness. It'll poison your soul. It'll rob you of joy. It'll stunt your prayer life. It'll mess up your testimony as a Christian. If it's going on in your home, it'll interfere in your personal relationships with your children, with your spouse, in your family. And so Paul gives a warning here. When you do get angry, make sure that you don't let the sun go down on your anger. What is he saying there? All he's saying is, when you get angry, man, just keep short accounts. Reconcile with people that you get mad at quickly. Do whatever. If you're mad at somebody or somebody has offended you, before you let that turn into bitterness, go hunt that person down, especially if it's a fellow believer. Face-to-face, talk to them privately, confess your sins to one another, resolve the matter, and deal with the anger so it doesn't turn into bitterness. Otherwise, you're going to poison your soul. And I just want to read from Matthew 5 where Jesus talked about this. Matthew 5, listen carefully. Matthew 5, 23. Jesus is actually talking about murder, the basis of which is anger. It starts with anger. And he's saying, believer, you need to deal with your anger. In a serious manner and in a quick and expeditious manner. And here's what Jesus tells us. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, if you're doing a religious duty before God, if you're worshiping God, if you're going to church and about to go to communion, if therefore you are presenting your offering to God at the altar, and there at worship time you remember that your brother has something against you, somebody's mad at you, especially a fellow believer, then Jesus said, this is a command, then you need to leave your offering there. At the altar. Leave it behind. Leave it at the altar. Go back to your brother immediately. Be reconciled to your brother. 
Make peace and then come back and present your religious offering and your worship to God. Make friends quickly with your opponent. That's what Jesus said. So this is huge. This is a major priority. So I just want to ask us all, you know, be thinking about right now in your own heart. Am I mad at anybody? Am I bitter at anybody? Uh, is there something unresolved that I could resolve quickly with somebody, especially a fellow believer? Do I know that a fellow believer is mad at me, holding on to bitterness that we've never talked about or addressed? Uh, ask God to search your heart and help you with that so we can go back and be reconciled and reconciled quickly. So that is the warning that Paul gives us there about being angry and yet not sinning in your anger, especially don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't let your anger fester and turn into bitterness. And by the way, finally he says this in verse 27. If you get angry at somebody, and you're not reconciled with them, and you let the sun go down, in other words, uh, you're not dealing with it quickly, you're letting it go on day after day after day unresolved, the more time that goes on, you're going to give the devil an opportunity is what he says. You're going to allow the devil, the slanderer, the liar, whose greatest goal is to destroy the church and separate believers from one another because he knows he will distort the, the message and testimony of Christ if he can divide the church and divide believers. Satan is going to zero in on division in the church, bitterness between believers, and he's going to get in there and he's going to create a wedge between relationships. And then before too long, if you don't deal with it, you're going to have infighting in the church. You're going to have church splits. You're going to have uh, Christians mad at each other for months and years on end. And that breaks the heart of Christ. So deal with your anger. Deal with it quickly. Manifest it in an appropriate way. If you don't, you will give the devil an opportunity to do damage in your own Christian relationship and also in the church. Don't give Satan that kind of foothold. Deal with your anger, bitterness the right way and immediately.